0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas Hill, and Colin, we could you could feel it—the football season's finally almost here.
1: You can you can really feel it because just a little bit ago we got off a um, what was it a Zoom conference call with Ryan Day, Corey Dennis, and Justin Fields, and you could you could feel the vibes from Ryan Day talking that they must be getting close to a game week because he started to throw cold water on everything, <laughs> which is the most coach thing to do when actual action is nearing
0: yeah I mean I feel like we've just heard nothing but glowing things from Ryan Day and pretty much everybody over the last few weeks but on Tuesday when you know some of the things he was asking you started you started to get that sense of you know him trying to shift the narrative a little bit uh, probably more to his players than anybody else but Mm -hmm. I think you asked him a question or something about the offense or something like that and part of his response was but we can't get ahead of ourselves or we're going to get knocked out in the first round. So, you know, that tells you that they're trying to get back to that point of focus of one game at a time. You know, you, I think I, to me, I think that is going to be more challenging than ever this season, because you had to publicly go out there and say, we can win a national championship. Troy you're trying to save your fall season. And now you've got to get your team back to, one game at a time, when we all know what the expectation is. There's no question what the expectation is, is to win a national championship. But you still got a long way to go until you get there. That process is finally going to start next week. And as they really start to focus on Nebraska now, I think that's going to be one of the challenges of this season. Maybe not for that first or second game. But I do think, you know, know, let's say you go 2-0 in your first two games, you get past Penn State. And then you get into this stretch of schedule where you've got some not so great opponents. I think that's where it's going to get more difficult to keep your team just focused on the task at hand rather of dreaming about what could come down the line in December and January.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's funny. Cause like who, like who's what, what's going to, what's going to change if they admit that they want to win national championship, like nothing's actually going to change. Yeah. Um, it's it's more so just like fun for us and just like seeing how they talk about it. But it is true they are shifting the narrative. Um, it's it's like you, I, I I'm just not worried about that with this team. Um, maybe I would be if I if I thought less of some of the leaders. But but I think I've said it throughout, and I'll just say it again. Like I I feel pretty confident in what they have leadership wise, veteran wise on this team. Um, when you go through this extended off season, unconventional off season, whatever word you want to use. Like it's great to have Mick Moradi as your strength coach, um, someone in Ryan Day who the players clearly are, are buying into, Justin Fields as your returning starter at quarterback, and then you just look around at, at some of the upperclassmen on this team, um, and not just upperclassmen, but guys who Ohio State's counting on to, to play big roles, whether it's the offensive line where you have three returning starters or Chris Olave in the wide receiver room, multiple starting or multiple uh, upperclassmen, senior tight ends. Um, even on the defense, which we we talk about all the turnover. Like there's Jonathan Cooper there, there's a there's seven upperclassmen a linebacker, there's Sean Wade in the defensive backfield. So I mean we can have that conversation, but honestly, I'm just not too worried about it with with this team. And I think more so than anything, and you heard Justin Fields almost joke about it today on Tuesday, is like, they just want to start playing ball again. It's been so long.
0: Yeah. That you can definitely get that sense that, you know, they're itching to go. I think Ryan day said on Tuesday, that he was asked about what it's been like watching games on Saturday. And he said, most of it's been torture. So, you know, I, I can only imagine, you know, what it's like for these guys to have to watch week in and week out, knowing that, you know, they should be playing right now, but still having to wait. So that wait's almost over. We're gonna kind of look ahead to the season day. We're we're not gonna shift the narrative. We're not gonna just talk about Nebraska. We're gonna talk about the whole season because I don't think we need to spend two weeks previewing a game against Nebraska. But no, we can talk about that you know, next week. A little yeah, bit. we'll talk about it a little bit next week. But we want we do want to look ahead kind of to the season as a whole. Uh, we're doing our season preview here on Eleven Warriors this week. Have put up some stuff. Uh, got a lot more to come over the next few days. So you know, make sure you're going to 11warriors.com and checking out everything we have over there. Uh, I've got a depth chart projection up. Uh, we're going to be doing some more stuff, kind of breaking down most important players on the offense and defense, take a look at some of the biggest questions of the season. i uh, got some more, more stuff coming up as well that we'll reveal over the course of the week. First of all, though, I was just going to ask you, Colin, we had a, a press conference on Tuesday with Ryan Day, Corey Dennis, Justin Fields. Uh, we also had one last Wednesday now with Larry Johnson and the defensive lineman. Uh, that was after we did the podcast last week. So was there anything from those two press conferences that just really jumped out at you as something you'd want to discuss? You know what's funny,
1: Dan, is like there there are plenty of things, but it's almost I'm, – I'm, I'm about at the point where it's just like we have talked about all of this for so long – Um, We have only gotten to see a half hour of actual action since March. It is going to be awesome to actually see this unfold. But, but to go back to your question, yeah, I mean, there are still things that we're learning. Um, And and I would just point out the one thing that was talked about both last Wednesday and today on Tuesday, which is defensive tackles. Um, And you know, you get the vibe from Larry Johnson that you know he's just someone who portrays confidence. Like no matter what he has. He's going to be confident in the guys that he has. So he says that he expects to rotate three defensive tackles at each spot, both nose tackle and three technique. Uh, and then Ryan Day, six days later, says sort of what everybody's thinking. And that defensive tackle is probably the, the most worrisome spot on the, on the entire depth chart when it comes to depth. Um, and, you know, I, I, I fully understand why Larry Johnson wants to project confidence. We've said it before. I'm just not – I'm I'm really just not seeing it right now. I, I'm not, at least to begin the season. Maybe when people get healthy, but right now, I mean, you just want to run down what they have, Dan.
0: Yeah, I mean, they basically have five healthy defensive tackles right now with Tommy Togiai, Jerron Cage, Antoine Jackson, Jaden McKenzie, and Ty Hamilton. So that's not a lot. You know, I. I, I don't really get the vibe that – Haskell Garrett or Teron Vincent is going to be ready for the start of the season, maybe Teron Vincent, but I I think it's going to be a slower process with him. I I don't think Teron Vincent's coming back to be a starter. I, I think Teron Vincent is coming back to probably play a little bit at first and then maybe work his way up. And maybe by the end of the year, he's that starter that people have been waiting for him to be for two years. But I don't think that's going to be the case right away. I think Antoine Jackson's most likely going to start alongside Tommy Toki and I think that could be a solid duo but I just don't know about the guys behind him because we just haven't really seen them play so you know I, I think Ryan Day is absolutely correct that that is the biggest concern right now in terms of depth I, I think we both agree with him on that and I think that's a very real concern I don't know if it's going to make or break Ohio State's national championship hopes but I do think you know early in the season you know you go against a team you know, like a Nebraska, it usually tends to run the ball a good amount. I, I think that's an area that is going to get tested right away to start this season.
1: It is. Um, I think that, you know, one thing that we haven't talked a lot about when it comes to the defensive tackles is I do wonder how much having some of this, some of the veterans at linebacker really helps um, because those guys are obviously going to be right behind those defensive tackles Um You have Tuff Borland who, like we've talked, it's funny because like we've talked about Tuff Borland setting up the defense for years now, but like it is nice to have someone who can actually do that um, when it comes to, to someone who's going to be right behind the defensive tackles. Um, Pete Warner, I think when, when, when we talked to, was that a a week or two ago about him being more of a playmaker on the inside at at will. um, I think that he's someone who can help um, in, in terms of, Making sure that you know plays are made up the middle. So I, I, I think that I I, I am worried <laughs> about this defensive tackle depth. Um, I would be lying if I said I wasn't. But I do think that um, unless you know unless the games happen and I realize that I'm underselling this a little bit, I think that the pieces that Ohio State has can help cover that up. And we haven't even talked. Um, you know, we haven't in past episodes uh, dove in a lot into. You know what Ohio State can do with its fronts and, and how it can differentiate you know what it does up front whether it be you know moving Tyler Friday inside or you know what if you went to three down linemen and then had Baron Browning also off the edge and all of a sudden you have three defensive ends that way I don't know I think there are a lot of ways that they can work with this um and they're they're gonna have to get creative Ryan Day hinted at that on Tuesday um but yeah, I would be lying if it's a concern. But I also I just really want to see this play out because I think that they've known it's a concern, and because of that, they they've been able to to sort of scheme some things up and and get creative a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think I think the defensive line for sure we're going to see some different things this year. And I think I think last year the defense you know mostly kind of stayed in that base scheme, and you know especially with the defensive front. You know, they really just rotated defensive ends, defensive tackles. In past years, we had seen more of a, a Rushman front. We didn't really see that last year. I yeah, think there we, were a
1: couple of weird packages where, like, they had Zach Harrison at, like, nose tackle. Or, like, do you remember Chase Young and middle linebacker? Like, that happened, like,
0: three times. <laughs> yeah, there was, like, a Rashad Berry package <laughs> yeah, in yeah. a couple weeks where he was playing in, like, a three-down front at defensive end. But I, I think we're going to see a more heavy rotation of the Rushman this year. Because – not just because of a lack of depth at defensive tackle, but I think you've also got a lot of depth at defensive end. Larry Johnson talked about how he believes he has five defensive ends who could start anywhere in the country right now. You know, I think that might be a little bit of hyperbole, but I do think it's a solid group, you know, starting with Jonathan Cooper and Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean Baptiste. I think those are five guys who are all going to play a good amount this year. And I think, you know that's a way to you know get them all on the field, and I, you know, I don't I don't know how much of a pass rush you're going to have for those defensive tackles because I think you know last year we saw guys like Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell really step up in that regard. I don't know if any of these defensive tackles can really be that pass rushing threat uh, from that spot. So I, I think you know, especially early in the season, especially in passing downs, I think you're definitely going to see situations where they're kicking those defensive ends inside to try to bolster that pass rush.
1: Yeah, the, the defensive who I really thought would be that guy because Larry Johnson has always said, no, always say that he wants pass rushing from his three technique. I thought that guy was going to be Teron Vincent, especially with the way that Larry Johnson talked about him. Like, I remember him specifically bringing up that he wants three, he wants pass rushing from the three technique when he was talking about Teron Vincent all the way back in the spring, whether it be March or April, I don't even know when it was, but I remember him talking about that. And without Tehran, I think that you know now you have Antoine Jackson there. You have Jaden McKenzie. I just, I I, like you said, I don't think they're they're going to get that kind of pass rushing. So I I think it'll be fascinating to see, you know, how creative they really do get. Um, When when you talk about the defensive ends, Dan, I know you said you know it might be a little bit hyperbole to to say that they have five starting caliber defensive ends. But you know, what are you expecting from each of them? Do you want to just like run down? each of these five real quick and just sort of give our baseline thoughts starting with Zach Harrison. Like what, what, what are you, what are the Zach Harrison vibes that you're getting right now?
0: Yeah. I I think Zach Harrison's going to be a really, really good player. I, I mean, I kind of go back to what I said on the pod before, but I think sophomore year, Zach Harrison could end up looking a lot like sophomore year, Chase Young and sophomore year, Chase Young was a really good player, but he wasn't a, dominant player yet he wasn't a superstar player yet I I I think that's where Zach Harrison is going to be I, I think Zach Harrison is going to be a really good player he is my pick to lead the team in sacks but I don't think that it's going to I don't think he's going to be that player yet you saw last year Chase Young was a player of it opposing offenses just they had to game plan around Chase Young I don't know that Zach Harrison's going to be that guy yet. I think he's going to be a productive player. I think he's going to make some really exciting plays, but i I don't think he's going to be Chase Young yet, and so I think he's going to need more help than a Chase Young needed last year.
1: What are the odds that Tyree Smith is a sophomore Chase Young season? Like I know that we we've talked about Zach Harrison as being that guy, but do you think that there's any chance that that he's the 10 set guy
0: on this team? I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I think he has that kind of ability. And I think injuries have probably kept him from being what he could be so far, but we're now at the point. We've got to see it. I I feel like if that leap's going to come, it's got to start to come this year because his first two years to me with the hype he came in with have been a disappointment. So I do think that he's going to step up this year. I, I think he's one of those guys that needs to be there at the front of that line, if they're going to really uh, continue to be an elite pass rushing team this year, do I, am I going to predict double digit sacks for Tyreek Smith? I'm not, but I do think we'll see an uptick in production from him this year. Yeah. I,
1: I loved hearing Tyler Friday describe his jump off the ball. as beautiful because it makes me just really want to see it now. Jonathan Cooper. Um, if I were to give you an over under on Jonathan Cooper's sacks, at six and a half, what would you take?
0: Uh, it's a good line. That's a good line. I'd probably go under just because I haven't seen a guy yet in his career that's a seven-plus sack guy. But, you know, I, I think that's another guy who definitely could have his best year. I mean, we've, we've seen it in recent years. We've seen some of these fifth-year seniors, like a Devon Hamilton, like a Jay Sean Cornell last year, really kind of blossom at the end of their career. I think that's what Jonathan Cooper's really hoping is going to come down the line. But we still got to see it. Javante
1: Jean Baptiste and Tyler Friday combined over under sacks
0: 6.5. I don't know. I'll say over because I do think Tyler Friday is going to be a guy that's going to play some of those inside snaps. And I think he could end up mm-hmm. being one of our better interior pass rushers. So I think if they use him in that role, I think he's going to get some sacks. I don't know really what to expect from Javante Jean Baptiste, but there does seem to be a good amount of optimism about him. Like there seems you get the vibe that that's a guy they're expecting to make a significant jump this year. Cause they're talking about him the same way they're talking about these other guys who played more than he did last year. So I don't know what to expect from him. I still kind of expect that he's going to be the fifth guy in the rotation, but I do think they're all going to play. I think my question is when do guys start to separate out from each other? Cause I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, it's been done before. If you look back at uh, 2017, like he was asked about last week, their top four defensive ends literally all played within eight snaps of each other for the season. So if Larry Johnson really wants to keep the snaps equal, he's shown before he can do that. I don't know that I necessarily see it out playing out that way with this group, though. I, I, I still think. I mean, I I think Jonathan Cooper is going to start the vast majority of games because he's he's been a starter in every game he's played in the last two years. And I do think Zach Harrison's a guy that could start to separate himself out once the season gets rolling. So I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out. You know, if a guy like Javante Jean-Baptiste, I think he needs to show something early to stay really heavily in that rotation because we saw it last year, but he was kind of in that rotation at the start. And then we didn't see anything, and he kind of faded out by the end of the year. I think a guy like him, and even a guy like Tyreek Smith that we haven't seen that much for, from, I think those guys, they need to show something early to really keep themselves at the front of that rotation.
1: Yeah, you hit on a little bit of my point, which is that I just feel like all of these five guys, it's just like, it's time to prove it. Like all five of them in different ways. Like I think Zach Harrison, if he wants to be the top five, top five pick in the draft, like, time for the 10 sack season like Tyreek Smith if you want to be a first rounder like I think that we both thought at this time a year ago like maybe he'd be three and done like have eight sacks and 11 sacks like he could be that guy uh it's it's time for one of those seasons for him uh Jonathan Cooper like I feel like I'm gonna be riding that Jonathan Cooper bandwagon because I'm I'm on the bandwagon because like I think that Larry Johnson sort of said it I just think he's probably a different player than the last time we saw him and then Javante at piece, like the Body's no longer an issue. It's time to time to see what type of player he is. Um and Tyler Friday, like he was a top one hundred recruit. I think that we forget that sometimes. Um, but but you know, what did he have last season? Um two sacks, three sacks, uh three sacks, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it's time to, to see a little bit more out of him. So I, I just think as a whole, it's a big prove a year for all of them. But but my the reason I'm fairly optimistic about them is like when you have five guys who are improving years, like, you got to feel pretty good that at least some of them are going to come through. Like, that's, that's to be honest, like, that's just sort of my take on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you need a majority of them, though, to really come through because, yeah, yeah. because I don't think you're – you're not going to have one Chase Young, and not only that, but I do, I think you're going to be weaker at defensive tackle than you were last year. Mm-hmm. So I think you really do need three or four of those guys to really step up and be productive this year if you're going to continue to have this elite defensive line that Ohio State and Larry Johnson have become known for.
1: And weaker in the secondary. And it all works together. Because if you're weaker in the secondary, it just puts more pressure on the defensive end to to get home. Um, I think that we can talk a little bit about um, today's press conference, Tuesday's press conference. Dan, what what sort of stood out for for uh, to you
0: from what either Ryan Day, Justin Fields, or Corey Dennis said? Well, I was just going to say going off of that, like, it's it's so hard to, like, parse through exactly, like, what the message is from Ryan Day because he's someone who's so ca- – he's very calculated in that every press conference there's always seems to be a theme behind it. There always seems to be an underlying message that he wants to get out there when he speaks to the media. But did you get the impression a l- maybe a little bit today that, like, maybe he's a little bit concerned about the defense – going into the season, maybe sh- showing that a little bit more than he was the last time we talked to him.
1: Let me, I, I was trying to scroll back to pull up the message I sent to you during his press conference. And I don't know exactly what it was, but it was something again, too. I'm not getting the vibes that that Ryan day is absolutely in love with his safety situation right now. Um, and, and I don't know, like, I, yeah, it, it, it is hard to sort of, it's hard to figure out exactly what he wants but
0: but what specifically made you made you think that well, like he was asked about like some of the young players on defense, and he I think he said something along the lines of that's what keeps you up at night and then yeah, he yeah. said he said what you mentioned before about the defensive tackles being a big concern, and you're right, I mean for safeties, he was kind of noncommittal there uh we're supposed to talk to Matt Barnes later on Wednesday, so I think we might get some even some more kind of insight on where the safeties are at uh, after this podcast is published. But, yeah, I just kind of get the I, – I, I kind of wonder, you know, again, I think some of it's just a motivational tactic, but I get the sense just a little bit that maybe, you know, maybe the offense has been outperforming the defense a little bit in practice, which I think you'd expect with what they have on this offense. And maybe there's a little bit of concern there of the season coming up in 10 days i also think i think when 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 he's evaluating the offense it's
1: like okay you have justin fields you have multiple starting running backs you have chris Olave and garrett wilson a ton of five stars you have veteran tight ends you have three returning starters plus harry miller plus nick Petit frere on the offensive line like what are you worried about like There's just not a ton to concern yourself about. But like you said, we're 10 days away from the season and he hasn't seen a vast majority of these secondary players play. There are concerns about, you know, how exactly are you going to play the linebackers? We just talked about like they have five defensive ends who like need to prove something, but like what exactly are they going to prove? They have defensive tackle depth concerns. I just think that there's a lot of uncertainty and when a coach gets closer to the season, I think it's only natural for them to get nervous. And I think that you know, he's sort of just showing off the vibes that we've been talking about for the last few months, which is, like, we can talk a lot about this defense, but we better see something because, you know, I think a lot can change after the first game or two when we actually get a vibe on what these guys look like in
0: in 2020. And that's the thing that's like, makes you want the season to come so badly is, like, we talk about this for, like, 10 months, and if Nebraska goes out and scores 31 points in the first game – it, the, the Ohio State fan base is going to lose its mind, and it's it's just going to be about the defense is awful. Uh, we're not going to win a title this year. Like the narrative can change so quickly once that first game comes, and well, you know, you know we don't know we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's been it's it's going to have literally been almost ten full months by that first game when we have seen an actual Ohio State football game. That's a long time.
1: Yeah, and I, and like I totally understand why he would be a little bit reticent to praise these defensive players when, like, he you, you just haven't seen a lot of these guys play. You just really haven't. And there are a lot of guys who are stepping into new roles for the first time. That you know maybe they played a little bit before, and now you're basically relied upon to do the job that you know an NFL player did last year.
0: I get the sense too, but maybe watching some of the other college football games the past few weeks and seeing some of the tackling issues and such that have been out there maybe spooked him a little bit.
1: Yeah, and that would be completely fair. A.K., <laughs> a- a- we're just talking about just normal coach. Like, these are the, the most coach things to get worried about. Yeah. Like, inexperience and bad fundamentals. Yeah. That's extremely college football coach.
0: Yeah. They're
1: important. They are. So, also, you know, on Tuesday's press conference, you know, he basically revealed that Nick petit is going to start a right tackle. Yeah. I mean, he didn't he didn't make it official. He said they're going to talk about it but Nick petit Frere started right tackle, um, which means that the starting offensive line is going to be Thayer Munford, Harry Miller, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, and Nick petit And, oh, my, like the talent on that line, like you dream about.
0: Yeah, it's a really good offensive line. And it's what we – I think we both expected the offensive line to be all along. I mean, Paris Johnson's really talented, but mm-hmm. it's very, very rare for a true freshman to start on the offensive line at Ohio State. And who knows, they might need him to start. I mean, he – I mean, I, I saw him in a clip last week practicing at left tackle to first-team offense. So he could end up being the next man up at either tackle spot. So I think that's why, you know, they don't want to close the door on that yet. They don't want – that's why they say he's going to play and stuff like that because they they want him to be ready. They they need him to be ready because he might be the next man up at tackle. You know, with that being said, like, one of those things, like, there's, there's certain things you hear in the preseason that, like, Kind of. Oh, I my, think you're
1: hitting on you're hitting set, on my one thing
0: that drives my, me nuts. Set my BS meter off is every year they say we're going to rotate guys on the offensive oh. line. They're going to play, <laughs> and they never do it. It never happens. They just play the five guys because that's what you do with an offensive line. So who knows? Maybe this will be the year if they decide to rotate their tackles. Uh, I doubt it. I, I doubt it. I am pretty confident that if Nicholas Ferrer, as long as he goes in and he plays well, that he's going to be the guy and Paris will get a there for the second team. Yeah, you nailed it.
1: I despise when coaches talk about rotating the offensive line. It's like, what do you want me – like, are you going to rotate quarterbacks too? Like, what are you doing? No one actually
0: believes that, but thank you for saying it for the umpteenth year in a row. I also – like, two other things that kind of get my BS meter going, and and you you mentioned this to me off air, but for one, playing multiple running backs. Again, they save us every year. They don't do it. So until they do it, I'm not going to buy it. Because they save us every year if there might be a two running back package. And they don't ever do it. And secondly, this one this one I, I say this one it's not even so much but I don't believe it, but it's that I don't I just don't think they should do it. Is when I hear them say, oh, Sean Wade's not going to play every snap, I think Sean Wade should play every snap on defense. Because I don't think you've got the kind of guys in the secondary like you did last year. That you can afford to take your all-American candidate off the field. I have no idea why I didn't, when preseason interviews start, just
1: start like writing down like the biggest BS coach speak answers ever. Because I think that we would have had an unbelievable list compiled by now. Because you're right. I and I did message it right when it happened. I was like, they want me to believe, after not talking about it at all, that a week and a half before the season starts, they're gonna run a two-running back offense. And we have literally never seen that. And their running backs. Or Master T, who's off a torn Achilles, and Trey Strum, who's a transfer—like that's just, that's not happening. But that 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 was my favorite one because like there's so much purpose behind that that one. He's only saying it because he wants Nebraska's defensive coordinator to spend 12 minutes during a practice on Net's Tuesday practicing against a two running back
0: package and like having that in the package. That's literally the only reason he says it. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game'smanship there. I'll add another one to the list: Corey Dennis saying. Not only that he doesn't know who the backup quarterback is, which maybe is true, but saying that they have not thought about how they are going to split for reps at backup quarterback. That is like a 10 out of 10 on a BS meter because there's no chance that you're a week and a half to the start of a season and you haven't talked about how you're going to split reps with your backup quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, if that were actually the case, like that's a firewall of fence.
0: <laughs> like you have to
1: actually talk about how you're going to rep your backup quarterbacks. And I also like if we're going to do it like all three backups are ready to go. Like if, so you're telling me that both freshmen and Gunnar Hoke who threw six passes last season, if something were to happen to Justin Fields, that literally all three of them would be like good to go right now. and be good college with all starting quarterbacks. Like, come on. I mean, I I get you. That's one that you actually have to say is like, if you don't like, that would be a little crazy. Um, But yeah, we don't have to repeat it and just believe that they've got three Justin Fields waiting in the wings.
0: I feel like we should just make this a weekly segment now of a BS meter where we just, we just pick out the, the quotes of a week that we just do not believe.
1: I, I sort of like it. I sort of like it. We should add it in there. Um, okay. Was there anything, if we're going to try and work our way through the BS that Corey Dennis said about the backup quarterbacks or about Justin Fields that you thought was interesting? Cause this was the first time I think that we've gotten a chance to hear from him since the spring.
0: You know, it really wasn't a whole lot of rev <laughs> I mean, I I'm just being honest. Like there just wasn't yeah, yeah. really a whole lot of revelatory stuff. I think I think Corey Dennis, for someone who was talking to the media for the second time since he's been at Ohio State, has already done a really good job of mastering the saying a lot without saying anything tactic. Except he almost like it's like he's doing he's working on it because it's pretty clear. He's just trying
1: to be that way. I don't think he's there yet, but he knows sort of the words to say. The guy who really is mastered it is Brian Hartline. Like, I think he needs to go to Brian Hartline's school because Brian Hartline never says a thing. But he always talks, and he's always interesting to hear from just because, oh, you know, it's Brian Hartline. It's the wide receivers coach. just sort of killing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, – yeah. No, I, I mean, I think you could tell that he's, like, new and he's still, like – he's not as seasoned – on it as a Brian Hartline or a Ryan day, but he did a good job in my opinion of answering the questions without giving any, anything away that we didn't already know before that. Yeah. Except for I don't want to call it a good job. Cause I hate it because <laughs> I would like him to
1: actually be well, honest, yeah. but um, I am uh, obviously biased because I would like to uh, spend my afternoon hearing interesting things from Corey Dennis rather than, that all three quarterbacks yeah i mean here. i'd
0: love to hear like what their stats are in the scrimmages and like who's actually not doing well but yes. i also understand why they don't want to give that away
1: what you're saying is you want to hear from kevin wilson again because kevin wilson he's he's fine to say he's whatever. up
0: there he's very good He 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 he's definitely one of the best in terms of actually saying things that are are interesting and are good story material
1: all right so I think it's time to preview the season, um which we've only done for nine months now <laughs> but since since next week we're one more time little, yeah one more time since next week we're gonna talk a little bit about Nebraska, probably a lot of it about nebraska um I think it's a good I think it's a good place to you know put our last notes on on what we're expecting this season to to be like and and how it'll play out um Dan, I know you wrote down some
0: some things how how do we how do we want to start this? Can start it with your question: Is this season really natty or bust? I think it's. I think it's. The, I think it's. You know, it's the question that I'm not going to be the
1: one who's going to answer, but I. But I think it's. It's an interesting question because I think in recent years you've seen a little bit of angst from from Ohio State fans who are happy that the Buckeyes get to the playoff and also want to get over <laughs> the hump for the first time since 2014. Um, I'll answer it. Yeah, yeah, it hey, is. Here, Dan, Dan, hold up. You answer it because now the dog's barking and now um, I have to go on mute.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll answer it. Yeah, I think it is natty or bust. I think mean, it's absolutely natty or bust. I, I don't think you can be fighting for your season and say this could have been a once in a lifetime team. I don't think you can be telling your team in a, a team meeting that you're going to hang 100 on Michigan. I don't think your starting quarterback can be going out and saying he he wants to put the National Championship Trophy in front of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and win the Heisman Trophy and beat the breaks off Michigan. If if you're not expecting to be a national championship team, so I I think it is. I mean I I'm I'm not. That's not to say that if you know they lose in the College Bowl playoff again, that Ryan Day should be fired. But I, I think the reality is that's the expectation of his team. You, you almost lost this season and you got to come back with all 85 of your guys with your superstar quarterback and your all-american cornerback and your all-american offensive lineman who almost never played a number snap for the Buckeyes. And you got this opportunity to go chase that national championship that you were so worried about losing. The expectation is 100% to go win that national championship. You can, you can, you know, you have to try to get it back to okay one game at a time because if, you'll lose a game or two during the season. You ain't winning that national championship. But I don't think there's any question that that's the goal for this team. Guys like Justin Fields just don't come along all the time. I think C.J. Stroud's talented. I think Jeff Miller's talented. I think Ryan Day is going to continue to develop great quarterbacks at Ohio State. But when you have a guy like Justin Fields coming back to your program, that right there sets the expectation that you are going to go win a national championship. And when you look at all the talent that's been built up around him, I think that's absolutely the expectation for this team. And it it should be. And I, I don't think I don't think Ohio State fans or anyone in the program is going to be satisfied with anything less than a national championship this year. And I don't think they should be.
1: Yeah, it's not a building season anymore. This isn't this isn't the first year when you're getting a quarterback in and you realize you're going to have this guy around for a little bit, you're building up some talent like this. It all comes down to Justin Fields. Like this is Justin Fields' second season. You have I think what's going to be the most talented offense in the country surrounding him. And then you have a defense that as much as we talk about all the turnovers, as much as we talk about all the inexperience, you look on that defense and it's like Multiple returning starters, multiple five stars, multiple high-end four stars. You just have a lot of talent on that side of the ball too. So yeah, I think you put that all together, and 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 it is an out of your bus. And and I also think like like you you get you get to the playoff last year, and you come so close to getting over the hump into the national championship, but you can't do it. And like how like what would happen for them not to get over the hump this year? It would probably be Clemson standing in the way again, unless you know. There are obviously other things that could happen. What if they played Alabama or Georgia and they lost in the semifinal? They didn't get there. But I think a, a totally reasonable like scenario is they face Clemson again. And if they don't beat Clemson, yeah, it's not a successful season if you get back to the playoff and don't beat Clemson. So I think that a successful season is, you know, them beating Michigan, running the table, and winning the national championship. And that's an absurdly high bar. But Justin Fields is is a quarterback who you never know if you're gonna see another guy like him in your lifetime at Ohio State. He's that good. And and you don't wanna, you know, you don't wanna to use too much hyperbole, but I don't think that's too much hyperbole. He's a, he's an incredible talent.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest, if this season turned out exactly the way last season did, and they run the table, they get to the college ball playoff and they lose to Clemson, I wouldn't be surprised because I think Clemson is really, really good again. And I yeah. think that is the team. They have to beat. But if you're Ohio State, that is the expectation. Progress is the expectation. That's the step that you couldn't take last year. So that, that has to be the expectation. If, if you you can run the table, you can go undefeated, That win another Big Ten championship, that would all be great. But if you can't get back over that hump, if Clemson wins the national championship or Clemson beats you again, you're going to continue to be – that second tier below Clemson in terms of what you've done since the last time you won a national championship. So I think, you know, again, the expectation is absurdly high, but the reality is there's three real power programs in college football right now, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. I think we all expect it to come down to those three teams. So if I'm being honest, after watching Alabama play against Ole Miss last week, I'm not, I'm not quite where I was on Alabama before watching that game. Maybe I'm overreacting to one game, but watching that defense against Ole Miss, uh, to me, they're a clear number three right now. So again, that's about having even watched Ohio State play a game. Ohio State's defense could look just as bad, and then it'll be a different conversation. But I think as you go into the season, you do look at it as the only team out there that really should be able to beat this team is Clemson. And Clemson's that team that you've got to beat because that's that monkey on your back. And we know, we know that's the matchup you want if you're Ohio State. You want to play Clemson in the college football playoff and you want to beat Clemson in the college football playoff because that's the monkey that's been on your back. And they're still thinking about that game 10 months ago.
1: Yeah, I think you made the really good point when when you talked about progress because I think last year they got to the point where they're in the top three where we view when we view national programs and not got to the it's not like last year they before last year they weren't anywhere close or anything but I think coming out of last season it's like Ohio State Alabama and Clemson but I think you know Ohio State's not number one in that group I think progress is getting to number one so while it's an absurd goal yeah when you have Justin Fields a second year Justin Fields an otherworldly quarterback it's reasonable um and uh yeah it's going to be hard it's it's hard to hold someone to a national championship or bus type of season but but that's 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 where this group is and honestly Dan you know when we were writing this when, when you were writing this as part of the show sheet and you wrote down the over under for Ohio State's wins and nine game schedule like I had no idea what this was and now I just feel like like I feel like the obvious answer is is over because Dan what you wrote is in a nine-game schedule, the over-under for Ohio State is eight and a half wins with over being minus 120 odds and under being minus 110. And I'll be honest, like right now, like I would
0: just smash that over. I just feel extremely confident in what Ohio State has, at least for the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't touch it as a better. I just wouldn't (laughs) because, like, asking a team to go undefeated at, you know, minus odds, that's just not – to me – and I'm a type of better. I I like I like underdogs. I like I like plus odds. I like trying to go for the bigger targets. Uh, so to me, I, I'm not touching that. But I agree with you. If I had to bet on one of them, I'm betting on the over because I do think Ohio State should win every game. I think Ohio State should win all eight of its regular season games. I think Ohio State should win the Big Ten championship to be nine and zero and punch its ticket to the College Football Playoff. With that being said, I, I do I do think, you know, I think when the schedule first came out and things kind of came out, and I, I I thought like Ohio State had to go nine or zero to make the college football playoff. I think with each passing week of a college football season and seeing less and less undefeated teams, I mean, after this week, the SEC is going to have one undefeated team, either Georgia or Alabama. They're they're the only ones left. I mean, you've got You know, the Big 12, they're down to one undefeated team. You know, so the more I look at it, the more I think, I don't know if they necessarily need to go undefeated. I think the challenge is there's only two games you should lose. I mean, you shouldn't lose any of them, but there's only two games that you should even have a chance to lose, and those are Penn State and Michigan. And if you lose to one of those two, there's a chance that team wins the Big Ten East. And if you don't get in that Big Ten championship game, that might be what ultimately keeps you out of the playoff.
1: Yeah, I, I've been thinking the same thing as, as the weeks have passed because I think I originally wrote in my you know my initial reactions to the schedule, it's like, well, the schedule is fairly weak. So when you're only playing nine games, you better run the table. Um, and I, I backed off on that a little bit with the make, major caveat of we have no idea what the selection committee is actually going to think. Like we can have our opinions. The AP voters can have their opinions. We have no idea what the selection committee is going to think. And that's there's the only people that matter. Um, But when I do look at this regular season, like, I just think this is, I think they're double digit favorites in every single game. I think they should win every single game. I think even if this defense struggles, I think this offense is good enough that it'll power you through those games. Um, And, and, you know, obviously I could be proven wrong, but I just, I feel so confident um, in this team and and what it's doing, at least in the regular season um, and, and, and what it will do. But are there, um, when uh i I wanted to ask when um I know you wrote earlier on this thing who are the most important players outside of Justin fields and and Sean Wade? and then I changed it to who are the most indispensable players because I think that you know I wrote this uh, I, I think it was the weekend on um, each position group and, and ranking it by depth, and I think that in a season where like we're gonna have to be honest like coronavirus could play a role in this and, and who plays and who doesn't who are the most indispensable players? Who are the players that Ohio State can't afford to lose and, and who could change, like, all of our analysis if they're out? And, and, you know, if someone tests positive for coronavirus, like, they're out three weeks. Like, that's a significant amount of time.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it because, like, I mean, I think we both agree. Like, obviously, just Fields is number one. Obviously, Sean Wade is number two. Like, yep. I don't think there's any question. Most important, most indispensable, whatever. Those are your top two. Is number three Tommy Togia? We just talked about the. The lack of depth at defensive tackle, it might be Tommy Tokiay, who's never started a game, but I just don't know if they have the depth at defensive tackle to withstand losing him for any period of time.
1: I think it's totally reasonable, but I don't think it's him. Just because even even if um, he plays an increased amount of snaps, I just think that you know he's not going to be a full time starter. He's not going to be someone who you know is going to catch the ball seven times a game. Like I think there are other guys who are who Ohio State's gonna
0: have to rely on. I think more. he should catch football seven times a game. I think that oh. would be fun. I think he should play fullback. I mean I think I wanna, be, don't, wouldn't you love a jumbo package with Tommy Togi and, and Dewan Jones. Jones. I knew where you were going right when you of said of course it. I was going he, with Dewan Jones. Yeah
1: listen if Ryan Day wasn't involved, Kevin Wilson was the head coach, we'd be watching that we on all Saturday. it's just if, saying if
0: if, if Dewan Jones gets in a jumbo package we are just gonna do an entire episode of Real Pod Wednesdays Breaking down the Dewan Jumbo package. Here's my
1: worry, Dan. Like I would like to promise that, but like I don't even want to rule it out. Like I, I really like I. Oh, think I'm, that I'm trying happen. to will it into
0: existence here. <laughs> I'm going a LeVar Ball strategy here. Speak it into existence. I think it's legitimately possible. I don't know
1: how we got onto this in, in the season preview, but I, in all honesty, like I think it'll happen once before he leaves Ohio State. I, I think it. he's. I think he's too athletic for it not to happen. And I don't care if it's Miami, Ohio, or the U. We've got to see him. We gotta see him in a game against some sort of college football team. It'd be it would be a lot of fun. But going back to the indispensable question, I think that there are a lot of answers on this. I think that um the offensive line is obviously where you think of immediately. But like, are you with me
0: on this? Like, I think that the offensive line depth is quite literally about as good as you can have at Ohio State. Yeah, it's a thing, like. I thought about saying Wyatt Davis or Josh Myers as being that third guy, but I do think they have the depth there that losing one of those guys wouldn't necessarily be catastrophic because I think you could slide Harry Miller over to center. I think Matthew Jones is a guy who could step in there at right guard. I think losing those guys would absolutely hurt because my opinion is those guys might be the two best interior offensive linemen in the country, but I do think they have the depth to potentially withstand a loss or two on the offensive line if it happens.
1: So do I, and, and that's honestly what my thinking was when I was thinking about wide receiver too because I sort of started to think about Chris Olave or even a Garrett Wilson, but my confidence is at a, it's at a high when it comes to some of these freshmen. If they're going to get more targets, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Um, tell me about this. Like, How indispensable do you think Pete Warner is?
0: I think he's up there, but again, you've got seven upperclassmen linebackers so but I, I think
1: I don't know about the drop-off like I, I really hold Pete in, in such a high regard like I think Pete Warner is pretty I think he's clearly the best linebacker they have and I think I agree. I'll be I, I am one I'm just fascinated to see what he's going to do there and if he can actually be a bigger playmaker there the one thing I would say is like you know I have no idea what Taraja Mitchell or Dallas Gantt would do in a bigger role like I, that's well, the thing a, is like
0: we got to think about why did they move him like yeah. part of a reason why they moved him is probably because they weren't that confident in one of those guys filling that role. They were more mm-hmm. confident in Pete playing that role than they were in a Tarajan Mitchell or a Dallas Gantt. So while I'm intrigued by those guys, and I still think they can be good players at Ohio state, there's a reason why Ohio state decided to move Pete Warner from a role that he was very good in last year. And you'd have to think part of that reason is that they just believe Pete Warner's a better football player. And those guys who would have been coming in to fill that spot behind him. And then once I think
1: about Pete Warner, I'm trying to think about the rest of the team. And honestly, like there's just nobody else that comes to mind. Like I
0: think I, that, re- I, think, I think that kind of speaks to where his team is at, though. Because I yeah. think I think I think this team has a few bona fide superstars. You know, have a Justin Fields, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis. You mean know, you, you you got a guy who has like Josh Myers, Chris Olave are kind of right on the cusp of that. But I think what ultimately, if this team's going to win a national championship, what ultimately is going to carry it there is its depth across the board. Because I think, you know, I mean, mean, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields is your most important player, there's no doubt. I mean, having Sean Wade back, I think, is absolutely huge for that defense. But I think it's got to be that depth. Because I don't think you have as many superstars on this team as you did last year. You know, I, I don't think you're going to have that superstar defensive end like Chase Young. I don't think you're going to have that superstar running back like J.K. Dobbins. I, 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 I you know, I don't think you're going to, at least not as of next year, I don't think all four of your defensive backs are going to be ready to be first round picks in the NFL draft. So I, I don't know if there's quite as much top of the line star power on this team, but I think the depth is there. Around guys like Justin Fields and Sean Wade, that that could be enough for his team to be a national champion.
1: Uh, one qualifier there, and, and I agree with with generally your point. I I think that you know, maybe underrate the potential for a Malik Cooker, Marshawn Lattimore type season because there are guys littering this roster who are top one hundred recruits, who are five star guys who could in one season go from being a backup a guy who you know know, we talk about like maybe like a Tyreek Smith who we think has a high ceiling but maybe hasn't done much yet who can all of a sudden become a star and and that happens at Ohio State all the time and and to be honest like that's the hard thing about this team is figuring out who those kind of guys are going to be because there are a lot a lot of guys like a Josh Proctor all those all those freshman wide receivers um Multiple, I think Jeremy Ruckert fits into that category. Um, I think some of the backup running backs, I just have no idea what to expect if if they were to actually push for playing time. Um, There's a, there's a lot of unknowns on this team and guys who I think could break out. And I think that that's what makes this team fascinating too, is a ton of guys who were highly rated, highly rated recruits, uh, who we've seen just a little bit of who haven't, you know, they haven't necessarily been future first round picks, at least, and, and, and our eyes thus far who, who maybe could make that leap.
0: Yeah. I don't know, but I'm underrating it. I, I, I think, I guess just what I'm saying is I just don't n- know if there's as many like known commodities. Like, like, here's, I guess here's what I go about Like last year, like I don't think Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were superstars yet, but I also think that like everybody was expecting them to be that are we ne- are there necessarily as many guys in that same boat this year? I mean, I, is that, I don't think Zach Harrison's there yet. You know, I, I think there are guys. I, I think you're absolutely right. There are guys who could absolutely make that enormous leap this year. I, I just, I think it's a little bit harder to pinpoint who those guys are going to be. Whereas I think last year, everybody kind of expected it was going to be Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Wyatt Davis. And that's who it was. Yeah. I think
1: that, I think, I think we're largely in agreement. I think the one thing I would say is that we might not know who those superstars were, who, who those superstars are now, but I think that there absolutely could be a guy who rises to that level who we don't see. And, and Damon Arnett did a little bit of that last year. Like, I really do think Damon Arnett was about as good as Jeff Okuda. Like, I think he could have made an argument. I would have made an argument. Like, I think Jeff Okuda, maybe because he didn't get as many balls thrown his way, maybe wasn't as productive as Damon Arnett just because people targeted Damon Arnett. Um, but I think there are certain guys on this team who who can be that superstar level. It's just hard to pinpoint them. It really is right now. I mean, but we anyway, haven't I
0: think, seen them play. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen anything in 10 months, so it makes it hard. Um, I know you wrote down, like, what are, what are some of the things that are going to be
1: different this season? Uh, and we've talked a little bit off air. I think our colleague Kevin Harris might be writing about some of this later this week, were there certain things that you had in mind that you think
0: are going to be different this season compared to past years? I mean, There's going to be a lot, I mean, a lot, that's going to be different, but I mean, it's just, it's just going to be fascinating just to see like how it all plays out. Like, I mean, I think the thing that like, I don't, I don't know that I've like even given that much thought to, but I think he's really going to hit us here in two to three weeks. is just how much of a sprint this season is going to be. I mean, you're starting in late October the season ends at the start of January. So this, I mean, this is basically a barely over a two month season and there's going to be basically no breaks in there. So this is going to be a sprint. And I think that's going to be the fascinating thing It's just to kind of see a season unfold in that way. Cause I think, you know, football season always goes fast. But I do think when you have a twelve week season with a buy and you've got bowl season and all that, like I think you get to a point in that season where it's like, okay, we're we're ready for like those real big games to come. Like it kind of drags on at a point. I think this season's gonna go by like in such a blur that it's gonna be like, oh, it's over already. Like we're already at this point of like the end of the season. I'm just fascinated to see like what that's like. Like just to watch it, like not even just just from a perspective of like how it's going to affect the team, but like just to watch it, just to cover it. Like I feel like it's going to be such a sprint to the finish here.
1: Well, I think you also, during the sprint, are just like hoping that the sprint can continue and hoping that there's not an outbreak. And I think that that's the thing that's just going to hover over. And, and I think that recently in the last you know, few episodes, I don't think we've talked a lot about you know, coronavirus and the impact that that can have on the season. Literally today, as we're recording, Florida shut down um, football activities. Like that, I, I, I think that you know when you look around, what what uh, college the fo- the college football landscape and and the the impact that COVID nineteen has had on 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 programs, game cancellations, game postponements. I, I do think you have to walk into the season with the Big Ten just understanding that craziness can happen and like nothing at all is guaranteed. Like we can talk all we want about this season. Like we can, we can preview it and we should, but none of this at all is guaranteed and it could all be shut down. Um, And I think that that's the, that's the tough thing about this, that, that's, that hangs over it. And, you know, I'm interested to see how the big 10 handles certain things, um, what it will be okay with um, whether there's any flexibility in the scheduling at all, um, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of interesting
0: ways that this can go. Um, not all good. Yeah. And I think we're flying blind here kind of on how, in terms of the big tens percentages that they have in place regarding like how many positive tests you can have and how this daily testing is going to work. Like all of these other conferences that are playing are n- under somewhat different protocols. So we don't really have, any real data yet to, to show how this is going to work with what protocols the big 10 has in place so I you know I think I think the reality is like I think because actual football games are being played and because Ohio State's in a buildup to the season I think naturally this just hasn't been the point of conversation that it was a few months ago because I think people are focused on the actual football that's happening and not on this potential pitfall, but you're right. It is, it is still there. And it's, it's something that has the potential to to derail the season still. And like you said, I, I don't think there's much flexibility. I think these other conferences that are playing have had some flexibility and and I don't really know what the big 10 is going to be able to do. If, you know, I, I'd imagine, but I don't – I say – I wanted to say I'd imagine, but I don't know what I could say I'd imagine because college sports are a lot different than pro sports. Like, we've seen the NFL do this where it'll push a game back like a day or two because they don't have as much flexibility in their schedule either. But can they really do that with college football? I don't know if they can do that with college football. It, there's so many unknowns here. and I And I think now we're just kind of at the point that, like, the season's upon us. We just kind of have to see how it goes and we have to hope for the best. But you,
1: met, you mentioned the flexibility that the other conferences have had, but that's not only what they've had. What they've had is a willingness to play games without dozens of players on the yeah. field. Like that, that to me is crazy. And I don't think that that'll
0: happen in the Big Ten. Well, the um, Big Ten's like, not allowing it to happen. Not, not, yeah, know, not only that. Yeah. Not, yeah, they have rules in place, but say they can't do that. So I think with those harder caps on, how many tests are going to be permissible, uh, that definitely has the potential. I mean, one significant outbreak in a team is, is going to cancel a game. That's that's the way a, a protocol is set up is that, you know, you know, 10 players get COVID, you're you're not going to play.
1: Yeah, and everything has to be shut down for a week. And if everything's shut down for a week, that means you don't practice for a week. And that puts this next game in jeopardy. So it really is, like, if you're going to talk about Ohio State making the college football playoff, like, if you're going to miss two games, like, good luck with that. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be in the playoff committee's shoes with that. And hopefully, you know, it would be understanding if it was something like that, but honestly, you just, you just never know. And this, this season is going to be weird. Um, I think that we have to talk about the coronavirus and and the impact that, that that's going to have on Ohio state and and, in the big 10. But also, you know, we can also hope that nothing terrible happens and preview the rest of the team, which we will continue to to do um, for that ten days until we can actually watch football.
0: Yeah, I think like I don't I don't remember the guy's name, but like whoever the scheduling guru is for the Big Ten, like they've got to look at what the NFL is doing, and like they've got to be paired too. Like if if two teams can't play, did we ever? Two, did we ever? Did they rearrange the schedule? It, it, it is, is there a possibility that a team's opponent is going to change in one week, and they've just got to react to that? I think that's, I think all options in that regard have to be on the table. And we saw, well, I think it was last week that LSU, uh, this was not even COVID related because of a hurricane. But they played at Missouri uh, because, you know, I think in a normal season, you probably wouldn't have done that, but because of everything you're dealing with this year, you just give up the home game and you go play there because, you know, you just have to do You have to do what you have to do this year. So I think, all options are going to have to be on the table here too, in terms of scheduling flexibility and just trying to, to get through this season and make it happen.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a weird season. Um, if we, if we talk about um, some of our biggest questions right now, I know we've hit on a ton of them. What else is there? What else is there that sort of has gone through your mind that, that either you're, you think that Ohio, that
0: Ohio State fans should be concerned about, or you're just like interested to see it play out? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm very interested to see how the defensive scheme plays out because I don't really buy that it's going to be the same defense as last year. I think there are going to be a lot more wrinkles in there, and you know, it might be the same base, but it might be a lot less of that base than we saw last year. So I'm I'm really interested to see what that defensive scheme is going to look like, how they're going to change it up. Because I think they have to change it up a little bit because I think. You know, with with losing the guys that they lost last year and having some question marks certain positions, I think they're going to have to change it up a little bit in order to have the same success that they did last year.
1: Yeah, I, I've I've been riding that too for a long time, and that's just one of those where it's like we it's not even worth talking about because we have no idea what it'll look like. But um, we'll
0: talk about it in two weeks after. We- yes, and I look forward to that.
1: Um, and honestly, you know. This pod this podcast going to publish on Wednesday. We talked to the safeties and Matt Barnes on Wednesday. Maybe we'll get a little bit more insight from them. But yeah, strong maybe there goes back to our BS uh, meter uh, earlier in this podcast. I think I think if I were to talk, think about questions for for me, I mean one is just like, are the where are these running backs on the not so great to Ezekiel Elliott scale. Like are they Mike Weber level? are they j k dobbins level where Where exactly do they fall? Um, because I think that my expectations are probably lower than most. um I think just generally getting the vibe um around Ohio State's fans, like I think my expectations are probably lower. um I think Trey sermon's good, I think he's interesting. Uh, I think Master Teague and you know latent blowouts I thought he was solid. I just don't know that I'm seeing anything close to what JK did last year. And, and honestly, like I was watching Clemson play on Saturday and I was watching ETN and I was like, yeah, I just don't think they have anywhere close to ETN. Like ETN was amazing to me. Like it was a reminder of how good he is. And I do wonder, you know, how productive they can be um, with who they are. And also like they're running behind maybe the best offensive line in the country. And you also, defense is also have to account for Justin Fields wheels. So how much
0: does that affect them? And, and can you get away with stuff when you got that as well? I think the other thing that's going to be, when we go back to differences and like, now I'm realizing that like it invalidates all my comments in one of our earlier conversations. Like, and <laughs> I constantly forget about this when I'm previewing the season is like the stats from this year are not going to be what they usually are because they're playing less games. So like when I was talking about like the sack numbers, if I could go back to those over-unders, I probably gave out some <laughs> bad betting advice there because I kind of was thinking about them playing a normal length season instead of a maximum of 11 games. So I think that's going to be interesting too. Like you think about this con, like you're comparing them to JK Dobbins. Well, they're not going to break the single season rushing record this year. Because they're not even going to play as many games. So yeah. all of the numbers are going to look different than they normally would. Uh, putting those in that kind of context is, is going to be a little bit challenging. We're, I think you were really going to have to look at, you know, per game stuff when the season comes to an end to really compare guys to what they've done in the past. But I think that adds a different, and it it even just compare. I mean, when you think about like the Heisman in December, like, or whenever the Heisman's going to come out, because it sounds like that's going to be changed as well. But like, how are you going to compare guys that have played less games to guys that have played more games? I would hope the voters will take that into consideration if I'm gonna be honest, I think Justin Fields should prepare for disappointment because I think there's probably gonna be voters in the South who just look at it and say, Well, Trevor Lawrence played more games, he has bigger numbers. I'm gonna vote for Trevor Lawrence.
1: Yeah, I don't wanna preeminent or I I don't wanna already upset Ohio State fans, but I'm I'm sort of in the same boat. I think that they're when you look at, you know. How a, how a Southern voter would view what the big 10 has done in their decision. And then look at the stats. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be helpful to, to Justin.
0: Yeah. You know, like I think it's funny, like whenever, like I talk to like clumps of people, like one of the questions they'll always ask me is like, do you think there should be a benchmark for games and all that? And, it's, and I'm like, yeah, but like I, I do, but it's like, that's not even something that we're talking about up here. But it's something they're talking about a lot more down there because they're looking at it as Ohio state could skate into the playoffs, playing only nine games while Clemson has to play 11 or 12 or whatever.
1: And you hear that. Honestly, I've heard that a little from big 10 fans looking at the back 12 (laughs) because even they're playing one fewer game.
0: Yeah. I don't know if the big 10 fans can really talk in that regard. No,
1: no Dan, you wrote what's your boldest prediction of the season. So I imagine you had something in mind and I know, at least later this week, I don't remember the exact day. Chris from Eleven Warriors is going to publish all of our boldest predictions. So I don't know if you're going to use the same one on the podcast that you're going to use in that yeah. article. But no, I'll I don't know that you... I
0: really did. I, w- I was going to. I I, I kind of used it up earlier. Okay. But... I I I am going to use the exact same one. So I guess I'll I'll be the one who previews it. Yeah. Well. I, no. I, I I mean I was going to say my bold prediction is I I think. Ohio State is going to have the two best interior offensive linemen in the country. I think Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, again, I don't know how it's going to work in terms of awards. Cause I, I think there's going to be some anti big 10 bias in awards just because of them playing less games. But I think Josh Myers is going to be the best center in the country. And I think Wyatt Davis is going to continue his reign as the best guard in the country. So I, I think Ohio State's going to have the two best interior offensive linemen in the country. Okay, well, mine's slightly more bold than that one. (laughs) Okay.
1: Mine is Marcus Hooker leads the team in interceptions. Um, Which I think that there's probably a sector of, like a a significant sector of the fan base, probably that doesn't listen to our podcast and is a little more casual, who don't know that Marcus Hooker's on the team and have no idea who he is. Because even when we hear about, you know, the young flashy safety, it's Josh Proctor who comes up all the time. Um, but I think if if I'm thinking about who's going to lead the team in interceptions, Sean Wade's the obvious answer, but I just don't know how many times teams are going to waste time throwing at Sean Wade. And then who else is there in the secondary? Just a bunch of new guys. Um, and I just, I consistently have liked what I've heard about Marcus Hooker and his ability to, to be the Malik Hooker type guy, the guy who's going to chase down deep balls and who's going to go sideline to sideline. And, you know, I remember talking to his high school basketball coach months ago um, who, you know, he pretty much said like, he's not Malik Hooker at that, that kind of athlete. Like Malik Hooker was an absurd athlete who is basically a once in a lifetime athlete. Like people aren't built like him, but he's right there near him. Like he's, he's in the same ballpark as him. Um, and and I think I think Ohio State's going to use more two safety looks, and I do get the vibe like if they get however often they go one safety, I think we'll see a lot
0: of Marcus Hooker as that deep guy. So so that's my pick. Do you think Marcus Hooker is going to start over Proctor? I'll say yeah, yeah. I'll say yes.
1: And I let me just say, it's Tuesday. We talked to the safeties on Wednesday. By the time you listen to this, my opinion might have shifted.
0: I'll be honest. I really don't think they're going to tell us on Wednesday because the coaches have been very good about not giving away their depth chart. So, yeah, I, Ryan, Ryan Day, absolutely. The moment that Kevin Wilson said that it's going to be a
1: 50-50 split between Trey Sermon and Master Teague, Ryan Day inevitably called a meeting and said, do not say anything else interesting because, <laughs> let me tell you, they have they have really stuck by that.
0: Yeah, I and mean, Larry Johnson, I think, kind of kind of gave us – I and Antoine Jackson were going to be his starting defensive tackles, but some of that. But I he's also Larry Johnson too. Yeah. Like and some of that was also, also just process of elimination, I think, because yeah. Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett are both hurt.
1: All right, Dan, three things we think are creatively named segment. You go first. What's one thing that you've been thinking
0: about for the past week? Well, I'll I'll, st- I'll start with saying I think – I think I, re- I really like this zero tradition that Ohio state is doing. Cause I think we were both kind of wondering like why they hadn't given out the number zero and, you know, figured that that block O Jersey that uh, Ohio state's going to have would be a very popular one for that reason. And I, and I really like the, the way they've done it uh, in terms of picking uh, someone to honor with it, with Bill Willis, who, he wore 99 because you couldn't wear zero back then and his numbers actually retired. But I think finding a way to connect it to the team's history and, and start a tradition. I mean, I think, you know, for Ryan day in his second year to be able to do something like that, if this is one of those traditions I see sticking around, I really think it will. And, and I think it's a, I think it's a really cool thing to do. Uh, I, I I like it, you know, because I think you know, a lot of times it, these numbers are just based on, you know, what recruits are promised and stuff like that. But I think this idea, you've seen like LSU does it with 18 and that's become a big thing. I think it's a cool thing uh that that is going to, you know, endure him a program of having this, you know, jersey that everybody wants as an honor and certainly I think Jonathan Cooper uh would seem to be the perfect choice uh to wear that number for the first time.
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard to create a cool tradition. Um I think when you when you're the person who's trying to create it as the school, I think it's even harder because you have to make everyone else buy in. Um, But I think they pretty much nailed it. And honestly, like of all people to pick, like Jonathan Cooper makes a lot of sense. My first thing that I've been thinking about is I think I recently said that the number being the number one seed is more important than ever. And I don't necessarily think that I buy that anymore. Um, When I'm talking about the college football playoff, I think maybe last year's college football playoff number one seed was More valuable than than this one, and it really just goes back to I watched Alabama play, and I saw their defense, and I thought you know maybe the difference between the number three and number four seed in my head isn't as vast as I as I did um, before I saw them play. Um, So I still have like in my head, it's just you know Clemson one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, Georgia four, Um, and I think if you had said a few days ago. You know what's the difference between three and four? I, I would have said, or not a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I would have said there's there's a big difference. And now I don't necessarily know that I buy that myself as much.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I sort of agree you there because one of mine was actually going to be about Alabama too. But um, yeah, I think you, you, you want to avoid Clemson. I mean, I, I think yeah. the, the thing, the thing about it is like, Clemson, I mean, to me, I think of all the teams I've seen play, Clemson is clearly the best team that I've me seen. Too. I agree. But if a winner of Alabama-Georgia on on Saturday runs the table, they're still probably going to be number one seed. So there's no guarantee, like, you could be the free seed and you could end up with the Clemson, get, Clemson matchup. So, like, that's where, it, that's where it gets tricky is, like, it, it, it still doesn't, you know. I, think, I still think you'd like to be the number one seed because I don't think Clemson's going to be the four seed. If you're a free seed, Clemson might be the two seed.
1: Yeah, my my only point was I think it's less um it's it's less of a thing than I did a few weeks ago when I was like yeah like number one seed is really important and I'm not sure Ohio State gets it this year but
0: yeah if you're gonna avoid Clemson in the first round of the playoff that would that would be optimal. All right, number two, you called me out for not going bold enough in my prediction earlier, so I'll just set myself up to be old takes exposed here. I think Georgia is going to beat Alabama this weekend. I love it. Why do you think that? because I think Alabama's defense is a lot worse than I thought they were going to be. Do you think Alabama's defense is a lot worse than Georgia's offense? I don't know if they're a lot worse, but I, I don't know. I, I've been pretty impressed with Georgia. I mean, I, it's definitely a huge test for Stetson Bennett to go on the road. and you know, I, What a I mean, name. It, it is. It's a great <laughs> name. It's a great name. It's a good story. Uh, it's going to be a huge test for him. And I, and I do think the Alabama defense will bounce back, but – you know, I, I was really in on Alabama going into the season. And, I mean, their offense looks fantastic. But, I mean, their defense, just they just weren't getting any stops against Ole Miss. And, I don't know, that just make, that makes me think that they're they're vulnerable. Um, it makes me think that they're vulnerable. So, um, I don't know if it'll be right here, but I'm just going to throw it out there as a bold prediction that I think Georgia's going to beat Alabama this weekend.
1: I'll be honest, selfishly, from our perspective, like, that is an awesome last game to be able to watch. It is. To completion before actually having
0: to spend the entirety of our Saturdays paying attention to Ohio State. So I'm glad that we get to see that one. Yeah, I love that it's, like, an 8 o'clock game. Like, you know, because, like, I don't I don't know that I want to spend my entire Saturday watching college football this weekend because it's going to be the last Saturday that I have free until the middle of January. So, like, I kind of want to, like, do other stuff with, like, part of my day on saturday but i definitely want to watch that game so i love that it's a eight o'clock prime time kick i mean i mean this is a game you talk about college football playoff implications this is that first game where you really look at it and say this game has massive college football playoff implications uh whoever wins it is probably going to be number one in the polls next week and they're going to immediately become a front runner to make the playoff
1: my number two thing that i've been thinking about um and I sort of hinted at this earlier, but I just let you take most of the question. The way that Larry Johnson talks about Zach Harrison makes me think Zach Harrison is going to get like 12 sacks. Like, Larry Johnson doesn't talk about people like he talks about Zach Harrison. Um, when he says that, you know, Zach walked in the door and he was different immediately and he's still different, um, I think it's because Zach Harrison going to have an amazing season this season, this year. Um, and we've seen what Larry Johnson has done with superstars in their sophomore seasons. Um, I wrote about it a little bit last week, um, Joey Boson in his second year, Nick Boson in his second year, Chase Young in his second year. All three of those guys had amazing sophomore years after playing, you know, a little sparsely as freshmen, but still flashing a little bit. I think that that, I think Zach Harrison set up for a huge season. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I buy into these defensive ends. Um, it's not necessarily because of the depth. It's because I think Zach Harrison, well, he's not going to be junior, Chase Young, because I don't think Zach Harrison is going to be in the Heisman discussion. I think Zach Harrison is going to be, and I think he's going to have an unbelievable sophomore season. And the way that
0: Zach, the, the way Larry Johnson talked about him, really, really made me buy in. When you say twelve sacks, do you mean in the season? Are you accounting? <laughs> are you accounting for the shortened length of the season?
1: Of course not. That was just my mind not, not, not remembering that this is a shortened season again, like, like both of ours did earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
0: I don't think he's gonna have 12 sacks and nine games. Although that would be astounding. All right, third thing. I'm trying to think because I had two like good ones, and the third one I was kind of waiting for something to come to me. So I'm trying to figure out what would be.
1: I can, I can fill in. I can go. My go third ahead, and then
0: I'll come back.
1: This isn't even like a good third, third thing, but it's like I wrote it down because like I can't get it out of my head. Like I think this is gonna be best offense in football. Like, I cannot wait to see this offense. I can't – like, I think Clemson has looked great. I think that there's been some, some great teams that we've seen, you know, that we've had a chance to actually sit down and watch full games of. I think this offense is going to be, be be the best offense of college football. I don't necessarily know how you want to, to go about, um, you know, detailing exactly how, but I think we'll look at it as, you know, Who's the best offense in college football? I think nationally people will say clearly Ohio State. Um, and I think that because I believe in what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are as offensive coordinators, I think Justin Fields is either the best or second-best quarterback in the country. I've said I'm a little lower on their running backs, but I still think when you have Justin Fields in this offensive line, you're going to be just fine. Uh, I, you know, We're not going to spend a lot of time on the tight ends, but I think that having those guys as is, is multifaceted weapons is important. And then like the wide receivers is, uh, I had my questions, you know, months ago about what I really thought about these guys considering how inexperienced they are. The more time has passed, like I've just fully bought in. Like I think this is going to be the most productive offense in college football.
0: Yeah. You, you are very confident. I am conference.
1: extremely confident. If they are not, I, I'm never really this confident. Yeah. If
0: they are not the best offense in college football, then Colin is going to be very let down. I will. Cause I'm,
1: yeah, I've, i've hyped this thing up in my head
0: all right i'll just i'll just say this like in terms of like the polls that are out there right now like i think it kind of to me i think like each week kind of illustrates more like how it's just impossible to rank teams right now because like i'm cool with north carolina being a top five team right now based on what they've done this year but I do think it's kind of funny if they're ahead of Ohio state, because like if you were setting a line for a North Carolina, Ohio state game right now, like Ohio state would have to be favored by two plus touchdowns. And I don't necessarily think that game would be even close. I'd say the same about Notre Dame at number four. Like I I just don't, I don't, I'd be shocked if either of those teams beat Ohio state and they're currently both ranked ahead of Ohio state as top five teams in the country. Yeah.
1: I think that goes back to the fact that the people who are voting for Ohio state have them ahead of those teams. And the people who aren't voting for them are the reason why in the ultimate poll they're below them, which is like, I think, I think there's some people on the beat, uh, the Ohio state beat. I think there are some people, some Ohio state, a lot of Ohio state fans who are angry at the AP poll. I could not care less. um, And I think that like, Like you just have, these are just like beat writers, like voting in a poll and all of them have different, like they cover different teams. Half of them aren't really watching games. Like who cares? But also I guess I will make one point about the AP poll. If you're running the AP poll, you can't just have everybody voting a different way. If you're going to, if you're going to allow people to vote for Ohio state, You can't have some people not vote for the Big Ten at all. You just can't do it because otherwise your poll looks dumb (laughs) because nobody is voting for the poll as it looks. You have some people voting Ohio State in the top three, some people not voting them at all. And because of that, Ohio State's six and nobody at all, I don't think a single person voted them six. So this isn't reflective of how people are voting, which makes the whole thing
0: useless. Right. It's like, why is North Carolina ahead of Ohio state, but Oklahoma state isn't like, it's just like, it's weird. And again, it doesn't matter. Like I, I'm with you. I lose no sleep over it. You know, I kind of laugh at like some of the people making it a controversy. It's like, I don't care. I just know this. I am extremely glad I'm not an AP poll voter this year. Cause like, I, I just would, I would not want to have to deal with that stress of having to figure out how the hell you rank teams against each other when they are all playing different schedules.
1: I wouldn't want it ever be like, I would love to be like a college football playoff selection committee member, but being the AP poll person means that you get people who are angry at you every single week and your poll ultimately doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) That's all it is. I would probably do it if I was asked, but it does seem stressful. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on it. Dan, you want to roll
1: through questions quickly as I know I have to,
0: Yes. Jump off of here in 10 minutes. Yeah, let's run through them quickly. Uh, Hovenot asked, he said, now that we have the time under Penn State Tilt, I don't think we have an official time under Penn State tilt. I think there's a report out there about it being a night game, but that hasn't been confirmed. So it
1: makes sense though,
0: because it makes sense. And like I think that's that's been the rumbling out there is that it would be. And like you would absolutely think ABC wants it as a night game, and with Fox having mm-hmm. that noon game uh, in week one like you'd think that would make sense i hope it is because like i think i think that game deserves that primetime treatment i mean you're talking about maybe the game of the year in the big 10 uh probably the game of the year in the big 10 so i think it makes sense um but that's not confirmed yet so i'm not a hundred percent sure if that's accurate but if it is uh i do think that would be good
1: yeah i'm expecting it but you know certainly not hundred percent. Like, you. yeah, say. I mean, we've
0: heard, we've, we've seen it before where you hear that it's going to be something and then it changes. Now, I don't There might not be as much of a reason for variance this year because it's the second game of a season. And like, it's, I don't really think that's going to be contingent on what happens in week one. Uh, I'd imagine like next week we'd maybe get an answer on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think a prime time would be good. I mean, it's, it's not going to be the same as a prime time game with a full Beaver stadium. Uh if it's just not fans, it's not going to be the same environment in state college that you're used to for a primetime game there. But uh certainly I think it would get great TV ratings.
1: As Ohio State would uh wherever Our next question is from Gen Juice, who asks, are nachos the ultimate stadium snack? If not, provide reasoning
0: and examples of regional deliciousness. Can always count on Gannon and Juice to ask us just something completely off the wall. I love it. Um, yeah, I don't know what I've really thought about this cause like, it's been a while since like, I've actually watched a game like in the stands at a, a stadium. Cause I'm usually in the press box. Um, I would say nachos though. Like I think like stadium nachos are something I liked when I was a kid, but I feel like I like, and I, I'm not, and I'm not like hating on like, you know, kid food or anything. Cause like, I don't, I don't eat that well. It's it's not like I'm I'm hating on it, but I don't know, nachos or those are one of those things like fat orange cheese or whatever. That's got. I feel like I've kind of outgrown that. Wow,
1: you're just talking about. Well, I don't go eat the normal food. I'm in the press box and I don't eat your kid food of nachos. Unbelievable, Dan. But it, yeah. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Like I can't tell you. Last time I ate nachos at a game.
0: Yeah, uh, it's been a, like I remember. Think. I remember it in like high school and stuff. But like I, I don't remember like. I just don't remember the last time I've had like yeah. Nah.
1: Back when I used to go to Cavs games all the time with my dad, I remember that I used to have nachos all the time. So that that was an old favorite of mine. I don't think that's my go-to anymore. Do you have a go-to, Dan, when you're not a
0: a hoity-toity member of the press? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I'm like a I'm like a hot dog, uh, cheeseburger guy. Um, I th- there were multiple mentions in the replies about the yeah crab pretzel at Maryland. I do remember somebody getting one of those a couple of years ago and giving me a piece and that was incredible.
1: It's fair. I think like <laughs> if we're going to talk kids food, like, I mean, chicken fingers are my go-to. Like, I can't lie. Like I just, I, I like chicken fingers anywhere and I know they're not a traditional like food at, at, at games, but like I'll do chicken fingers. Um, also, like, I like how a lot of, you know, ballparks and, and stadiums have added just unique food. And since I, had, like, since I cover Ohio State games, I, I honestly, I just don't know what Ohio State has around the, around the stadium. But I can say, like, I've gone to Progressive Field for Indians games and just, like, gotten melt.
0: <laughs> like a big old grilled cheese. Melt popcorn. is very good.
1: Yeah, it's definitely unhealthy. It's definitely yeah. not traditional baseball food. But like, if that—that's like a fun thing. That's just like a good thing to have at a, at a baseball game when you're just sitting there
0: doing nothing for three hours and just baking in the sun. I think Ohio State should pay homage to Justin Fields and just go all vegan concessions. Tofu burritos for everybody. I'm gonna leave right now if you suggest that to them.
1: We um, had we we did have multiple replies who were mentioning crab cakes. So shout out to all of you shout out. To all crab of you. cakes are very good. Menbach asks, we as fans, particularly those who follow recruiting, tend to carry bias from recruiting rankings going forward. We have the benefit of the doubt to the higher ranked player. Despite all talk of rankings being meaningless when recruits turning into freshmen, do coaches display the same biases, biases and deciding who gets reps and ultimately plays? And Dan, I think that that's like a fascinating question. And I'll just give you like, since I, since I saw this question earlier, I'll give you sort of my perspective. Then I want to hear yours. And and mine is, I don't think that it's the stars that necessarily matter, but I think that, I think that, you know, yes, if you're, if, if this is a five-star guy who you worked really, really hard for, you're going to give him as many opportunities as you can, because you want to be proven right. And also like, if they're a five-star player, they're probably really good like there's a reason why they were a five-star player. I don't think it's necessarily that they want to give the benefit of the doubt to the higher ranked player. Generally,
0: the higher ranked player is better. I can't hear stars matter without thinking about our friend Ari Wasserman and some of his Twitter debates that he's gotten into, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a bias, but like there's also a reason why Paris Johnson's being talked about as a potential instant impact player and Trey LaRue is not. I mean, if you, if you come in, as a five-star, highly touted recruit, I think your chances of getting on the field sooner are going to be higher than that free star guy who's coming in, and they probably think is going to take more time. But you know, I I think I think you can overcome that too. Like I think you know if if uh, I think if you come in, you know, a Ty Hamilton for example, a free star guy. I think if you come in and you do really well in camp, you know, they're not going to just they're not going to just play the four star guy over you just because he was a four star. If you outperform him when you get to campus you can absolutely move ahead of that guy but i do think there might be a little bit of bias just in terms of when you start out i think if you're that five star guy you're probably going to start out on a little higher footing than maybe that lower rated guy who was brought in as a project and so i think you've got to work a little bit harder if you're that lower rated guy to kind of climb up the depth chart that would just be that would be my opinion um but i think it also probably varies on on who the coaches and how they see these things or follow him you ask, should fans be allowed to buy wacky
1: waving inflatable arm flailing tube men instead of a card but a cardboard cutout in which i say like of course that's an amazing idea and i already tweeted about the idea because i think it's so good and i also think like the big 10 is not going to do
0: that but if the mac doesn't have this i'm going to be so disappointed can they be uh zen Mahalski sophomore year because that was his uh thing in one of Zach's articles about the recent Ohio State commit Zen Mahalski is that he looked like the, the wacky arm flailing tube man, or however, however it was, however he phrased it. Uh, that's what he looked like when he was starting out playing offensive tackle, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, inflatable arm flailing tube mans would be fun.
1: You wake up tomorrow as a wizard. You have the power to make college football players immune to one and only one disease COVID or CTE as Ziploc 007 And you know, I I thought about this and like the answer to me is CTE, but it's not because I don't think COVID's serious, it's because I am at least hoping that we have an answer to COVID and at some point in the future. And CTE I just I just don't know, you know, what can be done to completely eradicate that other than just not play football.
0: Yeah, I think that's an extremely loaded question, but
1: it is. (laughs) (laughs) But I decided to answer it anyway.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we know about the long term impacts of CTE, and we know that's been a long running problem in in football. So I I think that would probably be the answer. But that's a tough question to answer in a rapid fire segment here.
1: (laughs) It is. From Bia, last question. So I know football is about to start parentheses, some might say that the season's already kicked off, but we know it won't be a real season until October 24th. Well, I wonder which team you're rooting for. But if, God forbid, football cannot be played any longer, what sport would you want to see rise up and take its place with the same level of fervent fanhood, same level of funding and all that stuff? Dan, do you have an answer? I mean,
0: I assume we're talking about college sports here. So well, I, I, think,
1: I think you can just throw out any sport in the world, whatever you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a NASCAR guy, um, so – that might be my answer, but I know Colin's not going to get on board with that one. But like, I guess if I'm thinking about like what's a, like, if we're talking about like fervent fanhood, like that just makes me think golf. Like, I would just love to see like golf fans with like the same kind of fervent fanhood as football fans, just absolutely going nuts when you know I don't know teams or whatever their golf team didn't uh, do as do as well or. Uh, ruling goes against them or whatnot. I'd argue it has like some of the similar fundings and whatnot
1: though. So I think there are some similarities in place. I'm going to go off the reservation here and say dodgeball.
0: Dodgeball. That's a fun one.
1: I love dodgeball. I love playing dodgeball. And if, listen, if I could get a scholarship to go play dodgeball and then go play
0: professionally for uh, $20 million, I would have dedicated my entire life to dodgeball. From Collins world, dodgeball would no longer be on ESPN 8 biocho. Go no, straight, that, would, that would be on ESPN, ASPN, ABC. ABC. Yeah, Sat- Saturday Night Dodgeball, presented by Chris Bauer and Kirk Herbstreit
1: Street. We'd be talking about the Ohio State Penn State Dodgeball game at 8 30 p.m. On, a, on ABC. Gus
0: Johnson calling a Dodgeball match. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. I mean, we just have to end the podcast now because it's not going to get any better. Yeah, I think we can end it on that. Gus Johnson calling a Dodgeball match. Uh, think about that. And think about football because next week it's finally going to be a game week. Ohio state's going to play Nebraska and we're going to finally be able to stop talking about all the same things we've been talking about for the past 10 months and start to talk about an actual football game again. So uh, thanks for hanging in there with us for this long off season. Uh, We hope you guys have, have made the best of it and we'll be back next week to preview an actual game for the first time this season.